1: Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at com on MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com, and our website, com. Once again, I would just like to take this opportunity of wishing each and every one of you a very happy, love-filled, spiritually-filled, prosperous new year. And may your dreams and the dreams and aspirations of everyone that you know and everyone that you come in contact with this year come true. And may the year 2011 be the start of something wonderful for each and every one of you. Excellent My guest this hour is Dr. John Brandenburg. And uh, Dr. Brandenburg was born in Rochester, Minnesota and grew up in... Medford, Oregon. He obtained his bachelor's degree in physics from Southern Oregon University and his MS in Applied Science at University of California at Davis and his PhD in plasma physics at UC Davis Extension at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory studying controlled fusion using magnetic fields to confine plasma. He has written four books, uh, let me see. Dead, uh, dead Mars, Dying Earth on Global Warming and Energy Problems with Monica Rix Paxton, who uh, won the 2000 Silver Ben Franklin Award for Best Environmental or Science Book. Two sci-fi novels, Asteroids 2012, uh, Supvelda. I believe is how it's that's bolded, called. Uh, <laughs> the Thank you, John. You've
2: got to roll your R's a little I mean, bit
1: You've got to get it really going on that one. And uh, its sequel, Morningstar Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up under the pen name Victor Norgaard, and most recently, the Mars science book, Life and Death on Mars, The New Mars Synthesis, which describes a new concept of Mars, geochemical, and biological history. Joining me now is Dr. John Brandenburg. And John, always great having you here on the show. To you and your family, your two teenagers, a very, very wonderful New Year.
2: Well, Happy New Year to all you people up north in Canada. A very happy and prosperous New Year to you.
1: Tell me, John, how did you welcome in the year 2011?
2: Uh, some sparkling apple cider <laughs> with my kids. <laughs>
1: well, I've got, I've got to tell you And what. I
2: let the, you know, my two teenagers, uh-huh. uh, it was good to have them both home. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they're uh, not quite old enough to be running around town on New Year's Eve, but uh, we all just stayed. It was very cold here.
1: Mm, well, and, what what, uh, what the better half and I did was we just went to the local Chinese buffet for lunch or supper.
2: <laughs> there you go.
1: Then we came home and watched movies all evening until uh, eleven o'clock, where we turned on one of the local events uh, that welcoming the new year from Niagara Falls, Ontario. We opened up a bottle of uh, ice wine, welcomed in the new year, and then went to bed.
2: Yeah, that's that sounds like a nice one.
1: It is. It uh, I remember.
2: Is. I remember the turn of the millennium, the year mm-hmm. two thousand. What I consider, I, I, we had, I, te- I celebrated it with cookies and milk <laughs> with my two little ch- small children. Then they were small children because <laughs> everyone was afraid that the power systems would shut down
1: oh, or, yeah, why two K? And mm-hmm.
2: it didn't happen. Fortunately, uh, we we dodged the big bullet on that one. So.
1: John, you and I have to take our first commercial break. Please stand by. Exxon Nation, our first guest this hour is uh, John Brandenburg. And um, we're going to be talking to John about Mars. We're going to be talking to John about his research. And we're even going to touch on 2012. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. A place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. Right here on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network. UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and Exxon TV. We'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break. Don't go away. No matter what you do, I will always be. Everybody needs a little Say I'm sorry. I just want you to stay After all we've been through Explanation, uh, Dr. John E. Brandenburg is our special guest. He's a senior propulsion scientist at Orbital Technologies. And uh, John, how long have you been working on Mars research?
2: Uh, oh, probably... Since 1984, so uh, you know, more mm-hmm. than 20 years now.
1: Where did uh, your fascination? planet. Where did that's, your fascination with Mars come from?
2: Um, well, as a as a scientist and also a science fiction fan, mm-hmm. uh, of course, Mars has always been a fascinating planet. But I was became intrigued because of Cydonia, the Face on Mars controversy.
1: Now that's and, going back a couple of years, and. Uh, Tell me, what is your take on Cydonia? Is there actually a face on Mars? Uh,
2: Based on the latest pictures, the face is still there. The pyramid Mm. nearby is still there.
1: Um,
2: You must realize that uh, there are certain factions uh, who don't want anyone to think about that anymore, and so they basically uh, showed some very blurry uh, pictures uh, poorly processed pictures and said, see, there's nothing there, and then they wanted everyone to forget about it. And uh, <clears throat> however, the what looks like an archaeological uh, rule in there suggests that Mars' climatic history is much different than it has been presented to the public. And that's what I began to investigate, uh, really, back in 1984. What was Mars' true geocon geochemical and biological history. And this is what I've presented in this new book uh, based on the latest data. And it's quite astonishing. It's much different than people are, are uh, proposing uh, in their news conferences.
1: Tell me, John, why is the history of Mars so important to the human race?
2: Mars is the first uh, Earth-like planet in the universe that we can have access to. Of course, it's, uh, one reason that is is because it's close to us in our orbit, so it has more Earth-like conditions. Uh, but what we find on Mars in terms of life and death is going to really determine how we face the rest of the cosmos. If we find life on Mars, which, in fact, I think we have found strong evidence of it now, then that means the rest of the universe is alive that when we look out at the stars of night at night many of them are looking back at us
1: what do you think happened to the martian civilization what happened to any life well, as we know it
2: i'll i'll step back a little bit from the question of of uh, of a civilization mm-hmm. to just say let's ask the question was there life on Mars, you know, life-bearing conditions on Mm -hmm. Mars, like Earth? Right. And if that answer was yes, how long did they last? How long did terrestrial, Earth-like conditions last on Mars? Because there's no scientific reason for believing that if life developed on Earth, it couldn't develop on Mars if they had the same conditions. And apparently the early conditions on Mars and Earth were the same. Both had an ocean, Both had uh, warm, uh, and that obviously means warm temperatures and high atmospheric pressure. And if if you'd been set down on Mars or Earth, you probably wouldn't have been able to tell the difference 4 billion years ago. However, the question is, since Mars is so different than Earth now, how long did these Earth-like conditions persist on Mars? The answer, apparently, is almost 4 billion years, almost its entire geologic history.
1: Why would anyone want to cover up the actual history of Mars and, and feed us a conspiracy or a cover-up?
2: Um, well, knowledge is power. And uh, if some, some people don't want knowledge to be widespread, uh, let's say hypothetically there was a UFO cover-up
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that uh, the governments of the world, including the Canadian government as well as the United States, since we're allies, um, knew that we were not alone in the universe, and in fact, that other people had developed space travel just like we did and were coming here. If the US government and other world governments were aware of that as a fact and did not want to and wanted to withhold that from the public, then just about anything suggesting life on other planets would become kind of radioactive. And the government can basically encourage people to look for primitive life on other planets or maybe a radio signal but the moment you get close to actually discovering something a whole bunch of government agencies become involved that you probably wouldn't think uh, it, well it ceases to be merely a scientific investigation as far as the government's concerned it becomes something involving national security even a bacteria from mars becomes a matter of national security.
1: As, as a scientist, have you yourself seen any proof that there is or was life as we know it on Mars and that there is a conspiracy and a cover-up to suppress the fact that there was life on Mars as we know it sometime in the past?
2: Um, I can simply tell you that there has been evidence for life on mars for some time and it is basically not so much suppressed but it is attacked within the site there's there's a a sea of hostility mm-hmm. in the scientific community which i believe reflects the fact that the government funds the science um, that says that uh... the proof is never good enough they uh... They raise the bar of proof so high now that uh, you can basically—it becomes a roof—and you can hide under it. And uh, the the question becomes, what are you hiding from? Uh, let me ex- uh, give you an example: the uh, the meteorites of Mars. All apparently contain evidence for life, and many of these meteor. One of the the, the most famous meteorite is ALH eighty-four hundred one, and <laughs> Uh, it has evidence, uh, strong evidence for uh, life on early Mars, and then the later meteorites that are much younger geologically. Some of le- some of them are only 200 million years old, or were on Mars 200 million years ago. Um, they contain evidence for uh, primitive bacterial life and 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 groundwater and. So we actually have very strong evidence from almost all the meteorites on Mars that there was, was life on Mars, and that Mars Martian life continues underground uh, in a primitive way up until the present, basically, in geologic time. And not only that, the, um, you're aware that uh, they're finding big uh, vents of methane on Mars, these are, these are very large plumes of methane coming out of the ground on Mars as if uh, organic matter is decomposing underground and spewing out into the atmosphere. Plus, and they can see that both from spacecraft and from Earth-based telescopes now, which have become much better than they used to. But he, but so there's, but there's a host of evidence that Mars is alive and was alive in the past.
1: But isn't uh, isn't methane methane gas also affiliated with or associated with volcanic activity?
2: Uh, yes. However, uh, they've gone. They have very good infrared mm-hmm. uh, detectors that they've been flying around Mars now on many spacecraft. They haven't found any geologic hotspots on Mars suggestive of any geothermal activity. If they did, that would really make the news. Mm. But they haven't. Uh, so this. The origin of this methane, which is uh, in very large amounts, we're talking thousands of tons a year leaking out into the atmosphere, is apparent. Uh, The only thing that can produce that much methane, aside from geothermal, is biological.
1: Now, I I agree that, and I understand that, there may be bacteria on Mars. There may be very, very uh, small forms of life. But when I talk about life on Mars, I'm talking about people like us. You know, if, well, for example, let's take a uh, look at the, the face the... on Mars. Who who do you think made the face on Mars? And what do you think, Dr. Brandenburg, is the um the actual reason why this face was made?
2: Um we published a scientific hypothesis mm-hmm. in about 1990. It was just before the Mars Observer was supposed to go to Mars and take new pictures, and we, we said that uh, uh, we found other sites on Mars that apparently had what looked like archaeological remains. Uh, a place in Utopia mm-hmm. actually has two more faces, it looks like, and uh, you can see those uh, on the net if you get in there and just say Utopia Face. Uh, Brandenburg because I was the one who discovered it and <clears throat> but it's we published a scientific hypothesis that Mars was the home of life like Earth and that that life underwent evolution just like it did on Earth and produce something similar to us that made large monuments just like people on Earth make large monuments in fact we just pos- we, we proposed that everything that happened on Earth just happened on Mars and uh, people have many, cultures on Earth have many reasons for building uh, large things like the Sphinx. Um, uh, what's really fascinating, by the way, is the face on Mars uh, first appeared in a comic book uh, with the early Marvel comics in 1958, with uh, Kirby Comics, hmm. and uh, this had its, they had astronauts finding a giant carved face on Mars.
1: Isn't that is strange? <laughs> It,
2: it, it was, well, it, um, it, as often happens, science fiction is prescient. It's almost like science fiction writers, even of comic books, have John, stand a by. Yet. You and I
1: have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation, Dr. Sure. John Brandenburg is our special guest. Very interesting man. The name of his new book is entitled... All right, do you have your pencils and paper out? Okay, here we go. Life and Death on Mars, The New Mars Synthesis... We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Happy New Year, everyone.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you.
1: donation if you'd like uh, more information on uh, Dr. John Brandenburg or if you'd like to purchase any of his books go to Adventures Unlimited Press just put it into Google and it'll take you right there 1-800-610-7035 worldwide toll free email xone at xoneradiotv.com on MSN Messenger xoneradiotv at hotmail.com and our website www.xoneradiotv.com Received an IM from one of our listeners saying, hey, Rob, how did the x do on Apple iPod downloads? Well, in the year 2010, we had over 625,000 downloads. So to everybody who downloaded a, uh, a podcast, thanks, guys. Thanks very much. We're going to break a million this year. I can feel it in my old and weary bones. Oh, I'm sure you will. Yeah, thanks, John. John Brandenburg <laughs> is our special guest this hour. He's got uh, a new book out, XO Nation, And if you're into the investigation, and if you'd like the truth about what is happening on that little planet next to us called Mars, the name of the book is Life and Death on Mars, the New Mars Synthesis. John, once again, thanks very much for joining us. And to you and your oh, two uh, children, here. Happy New Year. Okay, we were talking about the face on Mars. Now, you've got the face on Mars that we all know about now. You and other members of the scientific community believe that the powers to be are purposely, purposely covering up the information or the truth about the face on Mars, the uh, the life on Mars.
2: Why would they oh, do that? Well, yeah, if you have, uh, let's say, hypothetically, you yes, have a U.S. going on, yeah. then everything involving extraterrestrial life becomes slightly radioactive. And Mars is like charged to like 10,000 volts. I mm. mean, anyone who touches it gets involved in a controversy.
1: But, John, if it, if it causes such a controversy, why does the U.S. government spend all this money by trying <laughs> to find out what the truth is about the planet Mars, if they already know the truth. It, 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 see, I look at this and I say, well, what is the story behind the story?
2: It's like driving down the road with one foot on the brake pedal and oh. one foot on the gas pedal at the same time. It's They, they are of kind of a uh, divided mind about it. <clears throat> it's a government program, Rob. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> that kind of says it all, doesn't it?
2: Yes, and what we found is that There is evidence because of the Mars ocean that has Mm -hmm. been discovered, which, by the way, I was the first one to propose at a scientific conference. The Martian ocean uh, bed is on the northern young part of Mars. That means that ocean lasted for almost the entire geologic history of Mars.
0: They suggested
2: it dried up within the first billion years, and that's just not true. It's Parts of the old ocean bed look almost terrestrial or hardly any craters on it, which means it's very young. And this, when you have liquid water, that basically defines a terrestrial environment because water only stays liquid within a a very narrow range of temperatures and a narrow range of atmospheric pressures that that means it's like Earth.
1: Do you think that... Mars might have gone through the same climate change that we're seeing here on this planet now, and that inevitably planet Earth will end up like Mars? Uh,
2: well, <clears throat> we should take good care of this planet. Uh, we're, we, we've only, as they say in the U.S. Army, you're only issued one planet here. Mm. <laughs> Don't ask for another. Uh, we On Mars apparently there was a biosphere that failed apparently it had a uh, a large greenhouse like on venus Mm -hmm. but the problem with mars is that it's too far from the sun uh... for that to be stable if you have a ocean there, it helps stabilize it, but basically, uh, if you have a, a large impact of an asteroid like the one that wiped out the dinosaurs on Earth, yes. then the greenhouse will collapse. And the person who found this out, by the way, was Carl Sagan, even though he didn't talk about it much. Carl Sagan was actually a much, a very brilliant scientist, in addition to being a public promoter of science. And he discovered that a dense carbon dioxide atmosphere on Mars to allow a a greenhouse effect would be unstable if a large asteroid or something like that struck and caused a nuclear winter uh, because the ice the carbon dioxide would essentially freeze out on the poles as dry ice and the whole thing would collapse mars would basically fall and not be able to get back up again unlike the earth which uh, was struck with an asteroid and uh, managed to recover its biosphere recovered from that uh, terrible um catastrophe. So on Mars, uh, apparently everything was running fine for a very long period. And then it was struck by a large asteroid that formed the Leo impact basin on Mars. You can look at it on the map. It's a 200 uh, mile wide double ring crater up near Cydonia, by, incidentally. And uh, it's spelled uh, L-Y-O-T. It's a French pronunciation because he was a great French, French astronomer so that seems to be the story of mars is that oh you also found out that you couldn't have this greenhouse on mars uh unless there was life that oxygen generated in the atmosphere actually would help stabilize this this greenhouse chemically so you had everything you needed for a kind of martian gaia Mm -hmm. but uh a self-sustaining biological system, but then the asteroid apparently ended it about half a billion years ago.
1: Do you think that prior to the asteroid striking Mars all this time ago, that those civilizations on Mars actually had conquered spaceflight, and is it possible that early Earth mythology, especially when we're when I think about the tale of Atlantis, was not talking about a mythical ocean here on Earth, but Mars, and that people from Mars actually—people from Mars actually came to this planet.
2: Uh, I myself, as a scientist, think this is unlikely. And here is the reason: this happened. Apparently, uh, this catastrophe, mm-hmm. which may have wiped out a civil a civilization on Mars, when it happened, um, that's what the face on Mars is—is is maybe a relic of that civilization. Uh, this happened almost about the time when the Earth was just barely getting going as far as biology. We barely even had an oxygen atmosphere at the time. Uh, what's interesting, in fact, is that when Mars, approximately the time Mars died, Earth suffered a or experienced a blossoming of evolutionary life called the Precambrian Explosion, which may have, in fact, been an invasion for Mars. A bunch of advanced organisms arrived on meteoritic debris from Mars from this impact, fell in the oceans of Earth, and uh, adapted to their new home and basically took over the place. Wouldn't that be something? That means we're all part Martian. However, the tales of Atlantis are very interesting. Um, As a scientist, I'm certain that there's been extraterrestrial contact um, uh, in prehistory. And in fact, it's in the Bible, it even speaks of the uh, the, the tale of the Nephilim, the, yes. it said the sons of God looked at earth women uh, and saw they were very beautiful and took wives, whomever they chose, and the, the offspring of these unions were great men about whom many legends were written. Uh, that's in the Bible, that's just before the flood of Noah. And that validates all of these tales, like from Greek mythology of the gods coming down and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bearing heroes from Earth women. Um, so not only were we visited by extraterrestrial life, but apparently some of that life was very similar to our, ourselves. The human race, in fact, may not be an exclusively terrestrial phenomenon, what we call human.
1: As a scientist, and John. That's,
2: that Scientifically, that's very difficult to understand, but it may actually mm-hmm. be true.
1: As a scientist, John, do you believe that we have been influenced by alien technologies?
2: Well, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. Um, uh, the book um, I'm, I'm a, I tend to be a big fan of the book uh, The Day After Roswell oh, yeah. by Philip Corso, mm-hmm. and uh, for one thing, I worked in Washington D.C. for 15 years. What he uh, the, the patterns of behavior by our government seem uh, very familiar. Uh, he basically said it was uh, uh, that he was his superior, uh, an American general in Air, uh, Army intelligence, that the was stuck with a bunch of junk from Roswell and didn't know what to do with it. And basically, uh, because of the things had become so secret, were so secret, he did, he didn't even know who to talk to anymore <laughs> about it. So he told Philip Corso to just farm the stuff out to various government-funded labs to see that what they could do with it. And uh, and basically he said, just get rid of it. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> there were another a number of other uh, funny things about that book um, uh, that I, I really liked. And uh, supposedly uh, the story I've heard is that Philip Corso, who, of course, People said, oh, that can't all be true. He called a, um, a stenographer to his bedside when he was on his deathbed and swore out a statement saying that everything he put in the book was, to the best of his knowledge and recollection, correct. So uh, I think that was a good book, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if uh, some uh, foreign technologies, we say, uh, hadn't made it into the technological um, Stream of development and uh, fi- things like fiber optics and mm-hmm. computer chips, uh, night vision goggles, things like that. Um, so it could have been a very stimul; it would be a very stimulating um, thing.
1: But don't you think um, that the human race has evolved to a point, John, where we could have actually invented all these products ourselves without any influence from extraterrestrials? Uh,
2: yes, I, uh, I actually, I, I found the idea so Mm -hmm. thought-provoking, I actually um, kind of did an investigation, like, where did the transistor come from? Well, the uh, transistor came from, uh, the line of transistor development came from the fact that during World War II they were developing crystal detectors for uh, radar signals and they were growing silicon and germanium uh, crystals Mm. and then they uh, stepped beyond that to try and uh, miniaturize the vacuum tube using these crystals, of course, and uh, the people invented the transistor, and then uh, ultimately they were putting, the, the idea of putting multiple transistors on chips, That uh, that's a kind of a curious one. That may have been a little bit of a jump right there. Mm. Um, and that, uh, who knows, uh, because it's not, I, I can see how the transistor would have been developed based out of World War II research on crystals. But the, um, the actual chip where you assemble a whole um, circuit on one piece of silicon, that seems like a, a rather interesting conceptual leap there. That I, uh, that In fact, all I'm saying is that when I investigated that, I found a clear line of development for the transistor, but not for the chip itself.
1: Tell me, John, is there any truth to the theory that there was a massive nuclear explosion one time on Mars? Uh,
2: apparently, once Mars' climate changed after this asteroid, mm-hmm. um, there was a mysterious and massive nuclear explosion on Mars that left a big radioactive scar. In the book, we show the maps of radiation radiation on Mars, and you can see very clearly there's a big red spot of, of high radiation in uh, the northern uh, region of Mars near Mare Acidelium, also, incidentally, near Cydonia. Cydonia seems to have attracted a lot of, a, a lot of trouble. For
1: That's the way it reasons. seems, yeah.
2: That's the way it seems because the LEO impact crater and then this uh, radioactive hotspot basically bracket mm-hmm. Cydonia one on one, one, to the east, one to the west. <clears throat> and um, the, you can see there are apparently debris streamers from this radioactive spot that wrap all the way around the planet. So then there's another hot spot on the exact opposite side, or very, very close to the exact opposite side, the antipode, meaning waves raced around the planet and collided on the far side to deposits of radioactive debris. So this looks like it was a planetary-wide catastrophe. Now, as a scientist, one first looks for the kind of the you look for the uh, hypothesis that involves the minimum number of entities or actors, mm-hmm. the sim- basically the simplest hypothesis. And in Africa on Earth, we found there were actual natural nuclear reactors that operated. This is something from a science sounds like a science fiction uh, story in itself. But it's actually true. Nature uh, had some very rich uh, uranium deposits in Africa, and groundwater water got into the deposits. This is a billion years ago, so the reactor the uranium was all reactor grade, um, and uh, it started nuclear reactors. There were, they found it five different sites, so this was a widespread phenomenon. Um, on Mars, the same thing may have occurred, only it was much larger. And instead of just percolating along for a few million years and then shutting down like the ones on Earth did, uh, this large one exploded, or as I say, explosively disassembled like Chernobyl.
1: All right, please stand by, John. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. ExoNation. Sure. Dr. John Brandenburg is my very special guest. The name of his recent book, his most recent book he's written for, is Life and Death on Mars, the New Mars Synthesis. It's available from our good friends at Adventures Unlimited Press. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. Hey, baby, they're playing our song. That is by the Buckinghams. Our special guest this hour is Dr. John E. Brandenburg. And we're talking about John's newest book entitled Life and Death on Mars, the Mars Synthesis. And you can just go to Adventures Unlimited Press and order a copy of this book. How do you get to their website? Very simple. Just Google Adventures Unlimited Press. John, you and I were talking briefly in between the commercial yep. breaks, and uh, you, when before you released the information in your book, you actually sat down and talked to the people at the Defense Department. And after a while, they told you guys just to publish it.
2: Yep, they did. Well, we—I'm a patriotic American, and I just for you. thought, well, they we
0: <laughs>
2: we. Never mind how, but we found out Mm -hmm. that the government was intensely interested in our research on Mars.
1: (laughs) I would imagine so.
2: Uh, It was kind of a gumshoe operation, unfortunately. But but so it it was very easy to contact people who were interested in this Mm -hmm. stuff at the Defense Department, because they'd basically been following us around. (laughs) And they were, you know, we'd gotten to know them quite well by that time, and we explained to them what we'd found, and they were... They were quite astonished and uh, agreed that the evidence looked quite—you know—it's all circumstantial, but it mm-hmm. looks quite strong that there was this large nuclear event on Mars. And so they, uh, we gave them a full briefing. They reported the superiors, and then they got back to us about six months later and basically told us, uh, "Go ahead and publish it. We're not going to—you know—we're not going to consider this a classified matter." so we did and uh, you know i i want to thank very enlightened people at the defense department for basically uh, saying yes you know let's let's get this out on the in the, in the to the public and um <clears throat> it's a um it's a great mystery now um i don't know if i mentioned this before there are natural nuclear reactors that they found operating in africa mm mm-hmm. Uh, with the uh, in natural um, uh, uranium deposits. I'm sure with the very rich deposits of uranium and thorium you have up in uh, Canada, you you may discover that this has also occurred there. Uh, But this would be like a billion years ago. And the ones they found on Earth were quite small, probably only as big as uh, uh, a closet. And They operated for about uh, several million years and then shut down. On Mars, whatever happened was much, much larger and then went dangerously unstable and, as they say, explosively disassembled. And this would have been yet another planetary-wide catastrophe on Mars. So the only problem with this hypothesis is that um, there's no large crater, in the center of the uh, of these radioactive hotspots. John, you and uh, I have also, got uh, to say so yes. long.
1: We've run out of time for tonight, but I want to thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations well, on another great book. We look forward to the next time when you join us here on the X-Zone. And okay. once, once again, John, from everybody here to you and yours, a very happy new year.
2: And yours too.
1: All right. Thanks, John. Dr. John Brandenburg has been my guest this hour, X-Zone Nation. His new book, Life and Death on Mars, The New Mars Synthesis, is available from our friends at Adventures Unlimited Press. I'll be back on the other side of this news break at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.